Praise the Lord. Would you take your Bible and uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And uh, honestly, I appreciate uh, everybody. I think most of us are fairly tired from the last few weeks. I know that I am. I know that my family is. I know that probably your family is too. Uh, but I don't want that to detract from the message at hand. Uh, I really do believe we've got something important in front of us to take a look at. Um, some 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 mindset things we want to address under the, the current circumstances of where we find our church at. And I, I think we find our church in a beautiful place. I think God's blessings are upon it. I think we're doing what we ought to be doing. I feel like we are a unified body of believers. And uh, we've been taking some time and examining on Sunday nights specifically in a, in a special way what the church is. And uh, so over the last few weeks, we've seen uh, that the idea of the church being a family, we've seen in past studies, the, the church is a body, uh, the church has officers, the church has ordinances. We've, over the last few weeks, discussed some of the disciplinary safeguards of the church, uh, the functions and responsibilities of the church. There are a lot of different analogies uh, that Scripture uses to kind of define for us what this thing church should be and how it should operate. And I think we've visited a large portion of those through the Scriptures, um, but there is one that we really haven't touched on. And honestly, I was a little surprised. I knew we were going to get to it, but I kind of looked back over my notes, and this isn't something, I don't know if I preached a whole message specifically on it. I know that we've talked about it, and it makes its way into different sermons, but we haven't spent a lot of time uh, with paying attention to the analogy where the Bible compares the church to an army that is prepared for battle. And so tonight I want to talk to you a little bit about the idea of spiritual warfare as it relates to the church of Jesus. And so this idea of spiritual warfare is something that's mentioned throughout the New Testament in a lot of different places, in a lot of different contexts. Ephesians chapter 6 deals with the whole armor of God and the warfare uh, that we face. And because of that warfare, we should put on that armor of God. Second Corinthians Corinthians chapter 6 talks about the armor of righteousness in preparing for spiritual warfare. Uh, We have marching orders against the very gates of hell found in the gospel uh, accounts as Jesus is establishing his church. And there are other, uh, uh, probably the most, uh, the person who employs this illustration of the church in a battle, uh, the most is is unarguably the Apostle Paul. He speaks about it in Timothy's uh, first uh, letter that he wrote in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse number 18. He tells Timothy to war a good warfare uh, that as he fights and as he serves uh, as a leader and as a, a, a minister that he's going to have to fight a battle and uh, that he should do it well. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, we see Paul admonishing the church to go into spiritual battle on behalf of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we find that illustration again that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual, the pulling down of strongholds and so forth. And so this theme is visited by the Apostle Paul a lot. And the reason for this particular analogy, we understand when it comes to body, the the primary purpose Paul's going after is the idea of unity. Uh, When he goes after the idea of a family, he's talking about our accountability to each other. But when Paul uses the illustration of warfare, it serves one primary purpose, and that is to remind the Christian of the seriousness of the task that is in front of them. Now, oftentimes, little kids, you know, they play war, and they play battle, and all of that, and it finds, you know, it's, it's fun to a certain degree, but anybody, and I've never been, but anybody who's been in battle, or anybody who's been in war knows that it's not a laughing matter, that is a serious thing going on. And so one of the best passages on this idea of spiritual warfare is actually found in Paul's admonishment to young Timothy at the end of the Apostle Paul's life. We read some of that uh, this morning. Uh, This is where we we talked about the time of my departure is at hand and Paul saying, hey, I'm ready to be offered. And in that same letter, the final letter the Apostle Paul would pen with his own hand before he would be beheaded, in that letter he writes and 
and spends a, a good amount. He actually spends 15% of 2 Timothy talking about this idea of a spiritual warfare that God's people are to be engaged in. And so he, he wants to give us some information, and we're going to go there this evening. Uh, we're going to walk through the 13 verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 13, and we're going to try to understand what faces us as a church. Now listen, uh, I hope you understand what we as a church are getting ourselves into as we advance on the gates of hell. I hope that you realize that it is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual warfare. And uh, this isn't just a game. It isn't something that's, you know, playful. There is some real spiritual warfare that's going to happen as we take, and this is our heart's desire this year, as we take the fight to his territory. And uh, I hope that you understand that's our goal. That's our emphasis as we're taking the gospel to these other places, uh, to, to places where the gates of hell have firmly stood for a long time. I think about yesterday and what happened. Many souls who sat comfortably in darkness, I believe yesterday, heard the hope of the gospel and many of them trusted and received Christ and in in essence were snatched from uh, the pit of hell. This afternoon as soul winning happened and yesterday as soul winning happened, we are taking the fight to that territory and that's the desire and the call of God. When he tells us to occupy until he comes, he's not talking about that song, that unscriptural song of holding the fort. He's talking about continuing on and advancing and occupying new territory for the cause of Christ. And so I believe with all my heart that Satan took heavy losses. And I think if we continue doing what we're supposed to do as a church, Satan will continue to take heavy losses, but that also doesn't come. And listen, church, and I, want to, I really want to be sober about this. That also doesn't come without retaliation. That also doesn't come without Satan trying to take back and contest some of the ground. Now, we know from the promises of Scripture that the gates of hell are powerless against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so with that promise, we intend to take it as as many places as we possibly can. But I hope you also understand the fight we pick. I hope you also understand the spiritual warfare in which we enter when we are stepping onto that battlefield. And so I want you to think with me just briefly before we get to our text, what happened with the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul broke into so many different cities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the vast majority of those cities, when he stepped in there, he won victories. And man, folks were starting to get saved and people were getting healed. And in some cities they came and they said, you must be a God. And after these victories, if you think about it, if you know the New Testament, if you know the book of Acts, what came next was warfare. These same people who said, oh, Mars and Venus have come down to us. Then they they stone him and leave him for dead. There's spiritual victories, and then there's always spiritual warfare. And when Paul would go into these cities, yes, there were people saved, and yes, there would be great crowds, and, and yes, there would be people who would protest, and there would be tumults, and there would be insurrection, and there was abandonment of co-laborers, and there was strife among co-laborers with John Mark and Demas and some of the other folks that Paul mentions toward the end of his ministry. And listen, I'm excited about what's coming, and I, Satan's not going to take that away from me. But at the same time, I also, I'm excited about what happened. And I'm excited about what's coming, yes. But I also know that there's some spiritual warfare coming down the pipe. Uh, and, and here's one of the reasons. One, because every time we've tried something great for Jesus, Satan has shown up. You understand? If you've been around long enough and you've tried anything for Jesus enough, Satan will show up. And when we started this whole process, I remember praying and I remember asking God what we would do. And I remember knowing and, and talking to some different pastors, sat down with coffee with one particular missionary man. And he said, I want you to know, if you try this, Satan's going to fight. And Satan has fought. And there have been moments where uh, there have been fires that have started and distractions that have come and issues and misunderstandings and hard conversations in the last few months. There have been plenty of obstacles, but I'm also convinced that the enemy is going to fail and that we are going to be able to continue and that we're going to be able to take ground, but that he's also going to attack the people of this gospel sending station. Your family is in his crosshairs, as is mine. 
And let me just say this before we get into our text. Can we pray for each other? Can we keep each other in mind that we are on the same team and that we're fighting for the same cause and that Satan is going to do his very, very level best? It's going to be a lot of my, my sermon tonight, and I told you about it this morning, but it's going to be a lot of my sermon tonight. Satan's going to try to get us off mark and off mission. Satan's going to try to get us to aim our weapons in the wrong directions. And so just as a pastor, as an overseer, I can't see the future, but I know that, listen, Satan is many things, but he's not original. Okay? And Satan's MO is always the same. As we attack, so does he. And so as we have attacked and God won great victory and we still have work to be done, I'm truly convinced and fully persuaded that Satan will attack back. And so in the next few days, in the next few weeks, I fully expect there to be some things that can only be described as spiritual warfare. And so can we at least enter this season being aware of what I believe is coming? Let's take some time and let's read through these passages, 13 verses together. We'll pray and then we'll unpack them together. First, our second Timothy chapter number two, verse number one says, Thou therefore, my son, Paul, again, writing to Timothy at the end of his life, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou unto faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore, and here's going to get into the analogy of a soldier, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's not, that's not fun, just so you know. We'll get to it in a second. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a, good, to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he, will not, he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must first be partakers of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, uh, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein, ye su- wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. Uh, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying that if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. And what we're looking at here is some instructions and realities about spiritual warfare. So I want to take some time and walk through. I'm going to give you seven different things the Bible teaches us and Paul teaches us right here in this passage about what we can expect when it comes to spiritual warfare. Because an analogy Paul uses often, here is no exception, is that church, the family of God, is an army engaged in warfare against the enemy. So let's pray and we're going to dive back into our text at the verse number one and start working through it. Father, would you guide us tonight? Lord, I pray that you bless these people. I pray that your spirit would be present. I, I know that there's distractions. I, I know that, Father. I know that Satan is, is, is working. I know that there are conflicts, and I know that there are, are things that he wants us to, to pay attention to we ought not be paying attention to in these moments. I pray, Father, your people would be attentive. I pray, Father, your people would be aware. And, uh, Father, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to be sensational or spooky. And in, in offering this warning, we just, I just know, Lord, from Scripture and from experience that when we take it to Satan, he takes it back to us. But, Lord, we know that greater is he than is in us than he that's in the world. And so I pray for courage, but I also pray for awareness. I pray for sobriety and, and vigilance as we realize that Satan is circling as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And, Father, I know that this church is a threat to his kingdom of darkness, and those gates are going to fall. Uh, should we be faithful enough and unified enough to take that fight to him in other places, and not just here in Bakersfield, but across our county and across our world, Lord, I know that's going to aggravate, and I know that's going to stir up uh, the pot. And so I pray that your people would be keenly aware of of the spiritual warfare we're entering and that they would take it seriously and be vigilant about defending their families and defending the church. And so God, guide us in this, these uh, next few moments as we discuss and unpack what you have to say for us through 2 Timothy chapter 2. In Christ's name we ask, amen. So I got seven truths. Now don't let that scare you. Some of them will move through fast. Some of them will move through a little bit slower. So 
And point number one is actually going to be extremely short, but I want you to see it in, in the text there. It's found in verse number one. I'm going to give you seven different truths that Paul is teaching us about spiritual warfare. And the first thing that he teaches us is right there in verse number one that our sustaining strength for battle comes from the same grace that saved us. So look at verse number one. Thou therefore, my son, and he's, he's going to talk to him about spiritual warfare. We just read the passage. But he tells him before the spiritual warfare that comes, before the endurance of hardship, before the battle that comes and the suffering that will follow, he tells him, thou therefore, my son, be strong. Would you read the next uh, three words? In the... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That same grace we talked about this morning that Paul said, hey, I am what I am by the... Grace of God. And that same grace, Paul says, that not only saved us, is the grace wherein we will stand as we go into spiritual warfare. And so briefly, just point number one, here it is. This is the the thought on this. The God who saved my soul is also the God that can save me from the battle surrounding me. And so as we go into spiritual warfare and as Satan begins to rage and Satan begins to try to sow division and sow discord and cause problems and ruffle feathers and maybe you lose a job or maybe some financial hardship or maybe some sickness comes into your life... I want you to recognize the God that gave you grace to be saved is the same God who will give you sustaining grace to make it through the battles that you and I are going to face. And I'm preaching to myself right here. I know for sure, and I don't have time to testify, and I don't want to bellyache, and don't want to make you feel bad for me. Our family has entered into spiritual warfare in a handful of different ways. And one of the things I'm trying to remember, trying to remind my family, is that the God that saved me and gave me grace to rescue my soul can also rescue us from our circumstances that surround our lives. So number two, you're going to find in verse number two, I love this one. This one I mean, you almost wouldn't notice it unless you were thinking in terms of spiritual warfare. The number two is that our marching orders, they don't change. When it comes to spiritual warfare, look what he says. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Here's what he's saying. Hey, when it comes to gospel, when it comes to the gospel ministry, which he in in a few verses from now is going to call spiritual warfare, he says, here's what you do. The things I gave you, do them. The things you're doing that I gave you, give to other men to do them. And since the Apostle Paul to today in Bakersfield, we've been trying to do the things we have received. We've been trying to follow our marching orders, to be obedient in the things that Jesus has given us to do. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about again this morning. When he was saying, hey, I received and I delivered, and as I delivered, you received, and that's what's going to carry on forward. And so when it comes to spiritual warfare, we don't have to recreate the wheel. We don't have to guess what we're supposed to be doing. The job of the church remains unchanged. We are to continue in spiritual warfare as it relates to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, So let's not get distracted. The battle and the the marching orders of Faith Baptist Church has remained unchanged since Jesus started the church. It's the job of the church to evangelize the world. And so as we go up, and sure, it's going to be hard. And as we go up and maybe go out and maybe try to Hatchapi and maybe go over here, we understand that our job does not change. We are to preach the gospel. That's what we're supposed to be faithful to do. And so what happens when we get hit in the face? Well, just keep preaching the gospel. The marching orders do not change. And it's, it's, I, I see it often. Churches get all kinds of sidetracked. This is the theme of the year, not getting sidetracked. They get all kinds of sidetracked on things that are not the job of the church. Churches become entertainment venues or churches become soup kitchens or churches become political action communities. And some of those things are good, but that's not what the church has started for. The marching orders that we've received from, the, from someone who received it from someone who received it from someone who received it from the Apostle Paul, the faith once delivered to the saints, is supposed to be what our marching orders are. So as we continue into battle, the good news is we at least know what we're doing because it's remained unchanged. Now I want you to see, not, number one, that sustaining grace is what God gives us for battle. Number two, our marching orders have not changed. Number three, we'll spend a little bit more time. Look at verse number three. Here's where he gets really into the idea of spiritual battle. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier 
of Jesus Christ. Now, <laughs> endure is one of those words I don't like the definition of, and I think you'll probably join me in that. Endure means to last, to continue under unchanging circumstances. You catch that? To continue on, to stay the course, even though the circumstances under which you are do not improve. That's endurance. When life is not getting better. You know, we, we sing that song, and there's some scriptural relevance to it, but hey, the sun's coming up in the morning, right? Well, sometimes the sun doesn't come up the next morning. Sometimes that storm isn't over tomorrow. Sometimes that storm isn't over this month. Sometimes it takes some time, and sometimes spiritual warfare, as it relates to this idea, sometimes spiritual warfare just hurts. Sometimes walking through that, there isn't any necessarily, there isn't some big victorious moment. Sometimes it's just simple endurance. And the expectation of a soldier is that they would endure, that they wouldn't quit, that they wouldn't fall out of boot camp, that they wouldn't fall out of the battle simply because it required uh, more cardio or more physical strength than they wanted to surrender. And you and I are expected to remain unbroken even if our circumstances don't change. Yes, if God lifts the burden, then woof, praise the Lord. But if he doesn't lift the burden, then it ought to be, okay, praise the Lord. It doesn't, the, 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 the worship of our mouth belongs to Jesus because he's worthy, not because our circumstances permit the worship of our life. The worship of our life is surrendered to him based upon his worth, not based upon our circumstances or what we're walking through or how, how quickly we get through it or how easily we walk through it. The Bible tells us that soldiers, we are expected to endure. To hold on when we want to quit. To wait it out another day. To not throw in the towel. To survive the moments where it feels like, hey, I don't want to walk this way anymore. To wait for deliverance. Even when you feel like it's way past time for coming. Now listen, I hate this reality and I'll say the younger me probably would have disagreed with this idea. But life and scripture have taught me this. Sometimes in spiritual warfare you don't conquer. You simply endure. And listen, I, I don't like that. I want, I want to live victoriously. We're conquering Jericho and we're going over here. But sometimes in spiritual warfare, there isn't any blessing to it. It's just endurance. Yeah. And it's just waiting. And it's just sitting in the hurt. And it's sitting through a season. And it's waiting longer than you think you should have had to do. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, the expectation is that we would endure. I want you to go to 2 Timothy uh, chapter number 2, verse number 4, down, down the next verse. It says, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. So we're going to see number four, a pleasing soldier will remain on mission and avoid the distraction of lesser things. When it comes to spiritual warfare, church family, God's expectation of us is that we would, not, that we would lay down every entanglement and every distraction and stay focused on the task at hand and not get caught up with lesser things. I can think of a good handful of folks in scripture who got caught up in lesser things. We don't know why John Mark first took, but he did. We know why Demas forsook, because he got entangled in the love of this world. Uh, there are so many people who get distracted as Christians today with other lesser aims. They're caught up with a job, or they're caught up with a, uh, you know, a passion, or a hobby, or I'm just tired today, or I've got these burdens, or I've got these things. And the Bible's telling us here, as a soldier, you don't just get to take the day off. We call it AWOL, and I don't pretend to know a lot about the military, but absent without leave. The Bible tells us here that the expectation is that we would war a good warfare and not be entangled with the affairs of this life. And what often happens is Christians, in, in a lot of different ways, will spend their efforts, their strength, and their aim at lesser things. 
And they get all kinds of entangled in warfare that distracts them from the real spiritual warfare around them. Would you keep your place there in 2 Timothy and go over to Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about the whole armor of God. I think this is one of the primary distractions that I've seen. And one of the things as a pastor and overseer of the church, I want to make sure I warn our congregation against this because this is one of the gates Satan sneaks in the easiest. I don't know why. We, we should know he does it. We should know it's coming. I know it's coming. You probably even know where I'm going right now because it just happens every time a church tries something great for God, Satan uh, is somehow able to turn our weapons on each other. Yeah. Let's see what it says. Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against... What are the next three words? Now, real quick, look to your left. The person to your left is made of flesh and blood. The person to your right is made flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So let me just say... just. As clear as possible, no one in this building is your enemy. When it comes to spiritual warfare, your wrestling and your warfare should not be against the people in your foxhole. The people in the trenches with you aiming the rifle down the down range at the enemy, and then all of a sudden, I've seen it far too often, God's people turn in the, in the, in the trench toward people who are on their side. And listen, don't get distracted. Don't get entangled in the affairs of this life. Hold your line and steady your aim at the enemy. Don't turn it on your church family. We don't have time for that. And let me just speak, and I don't want to take the analogy a little too far, but if, if, we're, a, if we're a commanding army, if we're a ma- an army in spiritual warfare, then to some degree or another, I'm an overseeing officer to try to help our, our church family move in the right direction according to the Scripture and the, the will of God. And here's what I don't have time for. Here's what these pastors don't have time for. Oh, hey, I know we were going to take the fight to him, but i got to go fix this mess between these two Christians. Yodius and Sintiki, remember that in the book of Philippians? Yeah. Hey, straighten them out. Y'all have better things to do than let two folks argue with each other. Their leaders and co-laborers may fix what's going on. That is not what a church should be doing. Listen, they're, they're, that, that idea of, of attacking each other, that friendly fire problem that happens in good churches, happens when God's people take their aim and take their best shots, not at the enemy, but at each other. And I just say that thrills the enemy. Man, you're doing his work for him. Did you know there's no job opening for the accuser of the brethren? That job's already taken. That's not your job. Don't be looking for that job. I'm going to find fault in him. I'm going to find fault in them. I'm going to find fault. No, no, no. That job's already taken. We already have an enemy. We already have an accuser of the brethren. And he's the one we're wrestling and fighting against. Not flesh and blood. Not the ones who are next to us. Don't give Satan that pleasure of of doing his work for him in the church. Let me just say, swallow your pride. Sit down. Don't say what you think you need to say. Don't send the letter. Don't make the accusation. Don't pretend to know their heart. You don't know their heart. You're not God. God looks on the heart. You look on the outward. But let's say for the off chance you do happen to guess and you know what's in their heart and they were mean and they were unkind. Swallow your pride. Do what Jesus did. He he turned the other cheek. And here's why. Because we have work to do. There's spiritual warfare in front of us. We have a real enemy that hates you and hates that person, that hates your family and hates that person's family, that hates your church. And so, church, can I just say, steady your aim. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Please consider 2 Corinthians 10.3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So let me just admonish you, church family. And this, listen, I'm so grateful. I talked to my wife just before service. 
I don't think this has happened. I haven't seen it. I haven't heard it. Praise God. Otherwise, I'd still say it and feel bad for the one or two people this might apply to. But I don't know if this applies to you. So if this does, that one's on the Holy Spirit. You can blame him. I don't know. But listen, our weapons, when we war, shouldn't be carnal. You know those carnal, passive-aggressive Facebook rebukes? That's not the weapon of our warfare. I, I haven't read one in years, thank God. If, you, if you're planning on posting one, or you posted one before service, that one's on you. Your untamed, unbridled tongue will not win a spiritual battle. The wrath of man will not accomplish the righteous plan of God. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh. We don't war after the flesh. We're not going to war with flesh and blood, but against rulers of darkness in this world in high places. That is where we must steady our aim. And so listen, I understand. I'm not trying to be spooky, but I believe with all my heart. As we take it to him, Satan's coming back. I, I believe with all my heart. He's, he's going to try and do these things in our church, which is why I'm trying to, get to ahead, trying to get ahead of it. So steady your aim. Don't waste your shot yet. You want to fight someone, come with us up to Lake Isabella. Come with us to Tehachapi. Come with us on Saturdays. We go out door knocking. You want to fight something, fight against the spiritual rulers of darkness of this world. So listen, number one, seven things, and we're moving along. Number one, his grace, that's what will sustain us in warfare. Number two, our marching orders have not changed. We know what we're supposed to do. We know what the battle is. Number three, we must endure through seasons of suffering that come with warfare. Number four, number, that was number three. Number four, we must remain on mission in the heat of the battle. Don't get caught up and don't get distracted by things that are lesser. Number five, we have biblical rules of engagement. And I, I appreciate this one. It's found in verse number five. As we warfare, we must do it correctly. And the scripture says it this way. We must strive lawfully. Verse five. If any man also, in the same thought, if any man strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So church family, let me just admonish this idea of going to war with clean hands and a pure heart. As we go to battle against Satan, could we gird ourselves with the armor of righteousness? Could we gird ourselves with pure minds and and clean hands as we walk into this battle? I know this. This is just, again, this is just how Satan works. Satan's going to come and he's going to bring temptation and things you you wouldn't normally be tempted in it in some of you who don't normally gossip you're going to be tempted to gossip some of you who aren't normally tempted to quit you're going to be tempted to quit some of you who aren't normally tempted to be bitter and get irritated at this person or that person or this authority for no reason whatsoever you're going to get bitter and satan's going to open up an opportunity why because he's trying to get you to disqualify yourself from striving lawfully because if we're going to strive for the masteries, we have to strive lawfully. We have to keep our, our hearts right. We have to make sure that we're doing it correctly. This warfare must be fought. So don't disqualify yourself. Defend yourself. Protect your mind. Gird up your loins. Make sure that Satan doesn't get an inroad into your family. We talked a little bit about that on Wednesday night. Standing on those right hills and making sure Satan's not getting a, a foothold in your family or amongst your, your children or spouse or so forth. Um, th- this, is, this is the idea of making sure that we have, we have strived lawfully. Let me just make this statement before we move on. Would you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll make this statement. Before you do, in this particular season, as I'm just kind of looking over the field and trying to be sober and vigilant about our adversary, let me just say this. Before you do something hasty that you've never done before, I mean, you've never, you've never marched in and given that person a piece of your mind, but now all of a sudden you feel like you should, can I give you a bit of admonishment here? Wait a few days. Amen. Number two, pray about it first. Yes. Number three, Run it through the filter of Scripture. Well, what filters? Well, I'll give you a real easy one. Works of the flesh, fruits of the Spirit. Hatred, strife, uh, uh, heresy, sedition, all those things. Say, hey, is this, is this anger, malice? Is this, is this the right? Okay, or is it love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance? Is, is this, so filter it through that. If it doesn't pass the filter test, then don't do it. 
First Peter chapter number 2 says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil or against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So it's this idea, look uh, just real quick as we move on, it's this idea of staying battle ready. Don't succumb to temptation. We need every man in this room to be a man of God. To be a man of moral purity, to have his heart right, his eyes clear, his love uh, for his wife as, as, as fervent as ever. We need every teenager in here right with mom and dad and right with God. Uh, we need every wife in here to be uh, right with her husband and right with her God. Because we need, we need qualified, capable soldiers to go to battle with us. Because it's a war. And that's what the scripture is very clearly telling us. Now, verse number 6 in 2 Timothy 2 and on are, are my least favorite passages in this particular text. So these last two are going to turn an uncomfortable corner. Number six, found in verse number six, as we war, we must accept the training that he will send us through. As we go into battles, the, the Holy Spirit, our God, our Father, is going to send us into circumstances that are going to grow us and sharpen us for the battle. Look at verse number six. The husbandmen that laboreth must be first partakers of the fruit. Now, we already read this passage, and we've already studied this passage together, but the idea is uh, he kind of switches analogies. In verse 5, he switched to uh, uh, someone who's striving for the mastery. He's an athlete. And then in verse number 6, he switched to the idea of a gardener. And a husbandman is simply someone who uh, tends to a field, and he grows it. He's the gardener. And here's what he said. The gardener that grows the food must first taste of it to know what he's growing is essentially the picture. And here's what he's saying, and and he'll go into deeper depth as we walked into verse 7 and 8. But what he's saying is, you as a Christian, as a soldier, God wants to grow something in you for other people to be blessed by. Uh, But in order to do that, you need to taste that fruit yourself. So let me give you an illustration. As a pastor, I need to know how to bring comfort to God's people. Would you agree? Well, in order to know how to bring comfort, I myself have to have been comforted, which sounds great except for the step before that necessitates discomfort. In order to be comforted, you must have tasted a discomfort. In order to help someone be comforted, you yourself must have tasted comfort. In order to taste comfort, you yourself must first be partakers of the fruits of discomfort. And so as a leader in the church, myself and every person in here, uh, the idea is that in order to help someone walk through growth, in order to deal with loss, you're going to have to taste of that yourself first. In order to help someone hear the gospel, you're going to have to taste of that fruit yourself, and so on. And look at verse number 7. Paul's specifically speaking of suffering, tasting of that fruit. Verse number 7 says, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Here's what he just said. Jesus, the husbandman, Yes, he was the first to taste of the resurrection, but in order to taste of the resurrection, he had to die. And yes, he's the first fruit, and yes, he tasted of it first, but he also tasted of suffering in order that he might bring us a resurrection. And that's the idea of baptism. Buried with him will be raised with him. Now look at verse number 9, carrying that same line of thought. Wherein I suffer trouble. He says, hey, I'm, I'm yoked right there with Jesus. As an evildoer, even unto bonds. Paul says, listen, I'm suffering because of Jesus' suffering. And I'm tasting as a husband and as a gardener so I can carry to the world. I'm tasting suffering myself. I'm tasting bondage. But notice the last part of verse number 9. He says, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. 
It's one of the most powerful passages in the New Testament. He says, listen, my suffering and my bondage creates liberty and a lack of bondage on the word of God. As I'm bound, the word of God goes out. As I'm brought low, the word of God is lifted up. As I suffer, the word of God is elevated. Uh, And think about this. The, 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 The boat that brought the gospel to Rome and beyond was a prison ship. Paul was bound so the gospel would be unbound. And there are a lot of times when it comes to spiritual warfare that you and I are going to suffer something so the word of God can have liberty. You and I are going to walk through something so the word of God, yes, and we're bound, and excuse me, we're under some heavy burden, but the fact of the matter is in our bondage, the spirit of God and the word of God is elevated and lifted up so that others can see. Now again, my flesh isn't particularly fond of that idea, but let's keep reading. Verse number 10. Therefore I endure, here's what Paul says, therefore I endure all things for... He didn't say my own sake. He didn't say, hey, my own suffering is for my own liberty. My own bondage is for my own freedom. My own death is for my own resurrection. No. This is uncomfortable, but what he's saying, and you'll see it, we'll keep reading. He's saying, I'm suffering, and it's not even for me. It's so that other people can hear. He says, therefore, I I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He says, I'm suffering these things. I'm bound on a prison boat to Rome. I'm I'm beat up and almost ripped to pieces in Jerusalem. Why? So that other people who will get saved will hear the gospel through my bondage, through my own suffering. And so when it comes to spiritual warfare, this idea of endurance has this real connotation that sometimes our endurance isn't even for us. Sometimes the the valley we walk through is for us. Sometimes the hurt we go through is so that we can be liberated and know the, the comfort of the grace of God. But in a lot of times, as Paul's saying here, sometimes our valleys aren't even for us. Sometimes it's so we taste the fruit so others can know what that's like. So we, our life can become a garden of comfort. Our life can become a garden of freedom. Our life can become a garden of liberty to people who wouldn't have otherwise tasted it. But in order to to grow that, we must first be partakers of that fruit. Just like Jesus, who's the first of the resurrection, was also the one who died in our place. So Paul closes this portion of the letter dealing with spiritual warfare with a capstone promise. Would you look at it with me? And uh, we're moving through here. Verse number 11, he says, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. This is exactly what I was talking about, what Paul was talking about this morning. When it comes to the resurrection that he says, hey, it was corroborated. It was factual. He saw it. He saw it. I saw it. And because it's true, because he's alive, he said, you can take what I've got. You can take my life. You can, you can behead me. I'm not worried because he is living. And in verse number 11, he says, it's a faithful saying that, yes, if we're dead with him, we shall also live with him. So listen to me, church family. When it comes to spiritual warfare, there may be seasons where we just walk through hurt. There, may be, there will be seasons of victory, but there will also be seasons of endurance where there doesn't seem to be any victory. But here's the comfort that Paul is giving Timothy here at the end. He said, it's true. It's a faithful saying. It's, it's absolutely going to happen. That if in battle we die with him, we shall also be raised with him. That grave is not the end of it. That suffering is not the end of it. This isn't where it's all going. Sure, it may happen. And in spiritual warfare, we may endure casualties and loss. But we are, this isn't the end of it. Keep reading. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And I love verse 13. It says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. 
Listen, sometimes in the fog of war, we know the promises of God. We know what he says. We know that there's a resurrection. We know that there's comfort. We know that you know, suffering may endure for the night. But we wonder, hey, is there really a resurrection? Is there really a reward? I'm so caught up in the fog of war. I'm so caught up in the difficulties of what's happening in my life right now. I don't know if I believe it. And Paul says it in verse 13, hey, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He's still coming back. He can't deny himself. He promised us a resurrection. He promised us eternal life. This isn't going to be the end of it. Even if we can't see through the fog of war, Jesus is still faithful and will not deny the promises that he has made. And so as I close tonight, can I just encourage my church family? And not in a term of possessive, but just like my family. Hey, we're, I'm a part of this body. Can I just encourage our family? This is a body of believers that's supposed to be an army prepared for a great battle against darkness. We're not going to be the church that holds the fort till he returns. I don't want to be that church that holds the fort till he returns. Well, let's just batten up the doors and sure it's getting bad, but let's just hold out till Jesus returns. I don't think that's what the scripture calls us to do. The scripture calls us to advance. But as we advance, you must understand we have to stay vigilant. We have to stay focused. We don't need a church full of folks who need to be bottle-fed the milk of the word. We need God's people who will be strong and desire strong meat where they may grow. Uh, uh, We need people who are full-grown, as the scripture says we saw last week. We need folks who are going to be sober and vigilant and endure and hold the line and steady their aim because I do believe with all my heart we can win in the efforts that God has called us to. Because the marching orders are the same. I don't have to recreate anything. It's all right here. The things that were passed to faithful men, they were passed to us. We're trying to pass to other faithful men. The, the, The blueprint hasn't changed. But I do also understand that every time God's army goes forward, Satan doesn't just lay down his arms. He loses, but he tries to come back after us. So I just want to encourage you to know and recognize what our warfare is for and who our enemy is. Because again, and, and, and invariably what will happen is in a week from now, someone's going to come and say, Pastor, this happened. Pastor, this happened. Spiritual warfare. Yes, just be prepared for it. Uh, be vigilant. Be sober. Watch yourself. Check your children. Uh, I, I, I want God's people to be as in, engaged as possible because we must strive lawfully. We must be able. We must have the anointing and touch of God in our life as we go into this warfare. We've got to be girded with the armor and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet and the sword and, and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. All of those analogies are trying to bring us to a place where we understand the seriousness of the, the request and the commands that God has given us in terms of spiritual warfare. And so let us just be sober and vigilant. And I don't know any context of any human being in this room tonight that might have applied to you, but if it did, and you are going to war or want to go to war against somebody on your, in your foxhole, don't. Don't do that. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal. They're, they're spiritual. They're mighty through God and pulling down a strongholds, bringing into captivity every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the, uh, the knowledge of God. Be careful. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he's looking for a way into your home, and he's looking for a way into your heart, and he's looking for a way to discourage you, and he's looking for a way to make you bitter, and he's looking for a way to make you upset, and he's looking for a way to make you gossip, and he's looking for a way to cause discord and disjointedness in your family and in your church and in your, your, your child. He is looking for an in. Don't give it to him. And this is what the scripture was talking about when it told us to be sober and vigilant. Not spooked out, oh man, I'm afraid I'm going to get hit by a car on the way home. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about guarding the gates for your children. Guarding the gates for yourself and for your spouses. Let's pray.